Will you turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 to 11? If I can uh, request the congregation to please stand up as we read from God's Word. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. <clears throat> For we can all read it aloud together, that'll be great. Uh, I'm reading from ESV. Who though who was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Father, we want to thank you for the reading of your word. We pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts. It's not in me, Lord, to handle your word. We know it's your spirit, and we pray that you, your spirit will have a, f- a free reign in me and in us, that you would be glorified in our midst. In Jesus Christ, Lord's name, amen. Please be seated. And when we get to uh, uh, open the word of God, even from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, uh, since last year, I've been specially caught up in that verse, in Genesis 1, 1, because to me what happens is, It shows to me God's holiness and grace right there. For one, it shows to me grace because when it says in the beginning God created heavens and the earth, what he's doing is he's got those vast heavens. From one end to the other of the universe, as it says, according to what man has calculated, it says it takes 14.5 billion light years going at a speed of light it'll take you 14.5 billion light years. That's just the known universe. And then you have the earth, which in one second, the light can travel around it seven times. So you have in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you would stop to see, what is it that God is trying to tell you? Now at the same time, there's something about holiness that must must catch your attention. Uh, Somebody estimated that the earth is 168.9 quillionth of the universe. And that's uh, 10 to the power 10 followed by 18 zeros. Okay, now I want you to think about this. You have this vast universe. Then you have this earth. And on that earth, sin was found. And that sin, in our standards, was not a moral sin. It wasn't like a murder or something. It was just, you know, disbelief. We, we, we seem to say, oh, that's just disbelief. And yet, in the holiness of God, that was not acceptable. Do you get that? Like, you know, I, I've got a white shirt on today. Yeah, I just had to notice. I just had a white shirt. But if, if it's just like a small dot somewhere... I don't really care. But now imagine this is the universe and that the earth and and the rest of the uh, narration in the Bible is about how God 
gets about redeeming his people. It says even the creation groans. That's grace. He could have, you know, just obliterated us. And so from Genesis 1-1, as you go down, as you really begin the narrative, if you would, I want you to understand what is happening. What is it that God is trying to tell us? And this morning we were reminded that God spoke to us in his son. And so God presents, as a sin, what he presents as a solution for sin, we are introduced to the son. And we see that he is the only hope and our only savior. We've been looking at the uh, doctrine of the son, and we said last week that we can divide that into two. One is the personhood of God, uh, of the son, sorry, and then you have the work of the son. And we said also that you really cannot separate it. You can, though, differentiate it. You cannot separate it. Because in the personhood of Christ, you find the work of Christ complete. And so we, last week, we looked at the personhood of God and uh, of the Son and the Son of God. And, and uh, today we want to see the work of Christ, the work of Christ. Uh, we want to see it as past, present, and future. So there's going to be a lot of verses that we will go through. And so I want you to stay with me as we go through this. But I think the one question that comes to our mind is that I, I, I thought it's all done. All the work that Christ had to do is all done because on the cross he said it is finished. So it's important that we you know, settle that matter before we start looking at these three parts. So I want you to realize that there are two cries, if you would, it is finished. One is in John chapter 19, verse 30, where on the cross he says, it is finished. But then if you get to Revelation chapter 21, verse 6, we see that he says, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Both are said by Jesus Christ. One on the cross, one on the th- from, from the throne, one on earth, one on heaven. The first one, the earth, uh, the earth shook and the, uh, 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 and the uh, rocks rent. And from Hebrews chapter 12, we see, he says, once again, I'm going to shake the earth, not just the earth, but the heavens too. And so what we do here is we are between these two cries, as it were, because though the work of Christ is released, it's complete. It's still not evident. Not every knee has bowed and every tongue confessed. There will come a time. We reminded ourselves there is coming a time. And the joy we have today is that our knees bow and our tongues confess. The verdict, is, the verdict is one. The believer is saved. The child is adopted. The work is complete. We wait for its realization. Alexander McLaren says this, The one proclaims the foundation is laid, the other that the headstone is set on the finished building. The one bids us trust in a past perfected work. The other bids us hope in the perfect accomplishment of the results of that work. Revelation 21.1.6 says this, that all the kingdoms will be delivered up and God will be all in all. We get that from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But we're waiting for that time. So when we, when we talk about the work of Christ, we also must see that in the three offices. The office of the prophet, the priest, and the king. 
And in, in fulfilling the work of the prophet, what Jesus Christ does is he reveals the Father to us. We read that especially in John chapter 17. He, he brings the Father's message. We saw that in Hebrews. In these last days, he spoke to us through the Son. And then as a high priest, he intercedes on our behalf. He, he offers himself as a sacrifice so that he'd be, the, he'd be our redeemer. Uh, he, and uh, presently, he, he is interceding for us at the right hand at the throne of God, representing us as a priest. And as a prophet, he represented God to us. And, on these, and then there comes a time he is king, but he will come as a king to claim Claim the throne of David. He will come to claim when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. The three offices as we see. And there are verses that, that uh, go into it. And, you know, if you, uh, I want you to take time to read through and uh, refer those references, if you would. But the question we have to ask ourselves in this work of Christ, what, what is it to us? The work of Christ. And we saw that there's the past, the present, and the future. We'll have enough time just to see two of each. But one thing I want us to realize, too, when we talk about the work of Christ, that the work of Christ is not independent of the Godhead within the Trinity. Just that it can be differentiated, but cannot be separated. We will see that constantly as we go, that the work that Christ does, the Godhead is also in cooperation and unity and in harmony. And so uh, uh, this is something that we need to keep in mind. Uh, the theologians call it the economy of Godhead. That within that, that there is, there is the unity, the harmony, and the work that is released to us that we understand. So in the past work of, of Christ, one is creation. I'm going to read to you some of the verses. The John 1.3, we saw that last week. We saw all things were made through him, that is Jesus Christ, and without him, nothing was made that was made. And then we have Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, which says, For by him, that is again Jesus Christ, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on the earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. We see Jesus Christ as the creator. And yet we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the deep, and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. God the Father plans it. God the Son does the work. And the God the Spirit energizing in creation. Then you have redemption. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, it says, in him, that is Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. In Jesus Christ. And yet we also read in Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 to 6, but when the fullness of time was come, God, that's God the Father, sent forth a son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of son. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit 
of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We also have in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, God, who had saved us, has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace that was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Isaiah 48, 16, the Lord God and his spirit hath sent me. So again, we see God the Father planning redemption, God the Son executing redemption, God the Spirit applying redemption to our hearts. Uh, we read in Titus chapter 3, verse 4 to 6, But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit and the obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Again and again, we are reminded how the work of Christ is done and how the Trinity is involved in, in a work that is not separated, but that is differentiated. Now, I read through these verses because I want you to understand many times, you know, some, some, we, we looked at Trinity uh, about two, three weeks ago, uh, and we, we saw how people say the Trinity is not mentioned. But then we see here the work with, you know, of how Trinity, Godhead, is involved in the work in creation and redemption. But when we talk about the work of Christ, we must also remember that it was the Son who came down to the earth. We read that in Philippians chapter 2. He came down, being formed in the like, in the, uh, as a servant in the likeness of a man. He became obedient to death, even to the death of a cross. A redemption apart from the fact that the eternal Son of God came down as human flesh. We would have had no redemption. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, He who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we would be made the righteousness of God in him. That is Jesus Christ. This, this work of creation and redemption becomes so beautifully uh, shared with us as we get to Revelation. In chapter 4 and chapter 5. In chapter 4 verse 11 it says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive honor and glory, uh, glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Jesus Christ praised and worshipped as the creator. Then I get to chapter 5. This is what it says in verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Jesus Christ as our redeemer. I read these verses... And I bring all this. And sometimes, you know, we, we, you know, when just verses are being read, we tend to go on a slow-mo. But I want you to know this is God's word. I bring this because 
at least seven heresies exist as to the work of Christ. And it's important for us to know that one of the things, we won't get into those heresies, that's not what we want to learn at this point, but I also want to say that one strong belief is that the Son of God came in the line of fire as God the Father was intent on demolishing us and destroying us and that he took it upon himself. That is not scriptural. It is not God the Father working in opposition to God the, uh, God the Son working in opposition to God the Father. We have in Trinity them working together. The provision of redemption is from God the Father himself, and Jesus becomes the sin bearer for us in the will of the Father. In Isaiah 53.10, it says, For it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt, and he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The prophecy about the Messiah and what he will accomplish. The work is complete. Christ has not left anything undone. It is finished. We, the, 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 in these 2,000 years, there's nothing that can be added to the revelation that God the Son has already given. The revelation is complete. It's God the Son. So in John chapter 19, verse 30, when we hear it is finished, it, this is, he sealed the work of redemption. It is complete, and he completes the will of the Father as he, as he, as he cries that. So we are thankful that as we sit here, we're not sitting with an anticipation of hopefully that we'll be saved, but on the assurance of the work that Christ has already done. But also let's look at the, the present work of Christ. What's he doing now? So we looked at creation and redemption in the past. But what's he doing now? When we talk about the present work of Christ, then we can also see that as the work that's being done in us and the work that is being done in heaven. So let's look at the work that's being done in us, the indwelling. We read that in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we read in John chapter 14, verse 7, the Lord Jesus Christ telling the disciples, he says, Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells within you. Then again, John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Again, notice the unity and the harmony. And I, I, I don't know what's, what's that doing to your heart when we talk about 
the God of the universe, the one who is the Almighty, when, he, when we read such verses. That's the work of the indwelling. Then you also have the work of the interceding in heaven. He's not just indwelling on earth, uh, while on earth in our hearts, but he is also interceding for us in heaven. And as an advocate, we read in Hebrews chapter 7, 25, therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. It seems like there's a court scene up in heaven. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, we see that the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. And uh, William Barclay, who's a scholar, he says, Jesus for us at, at the right hand is not a prosecuting counsel, but an advocate who pleads a cause. Satan is a prosecutor who brings a charge against, the, against God's elect. Christian who has sinned is the defendant. And Jesus Christ is the defense attorney for the sinning believer. And someone described this very poetically. It says, when, when the devil brings this accusation against God's children, my advocate, your advocate, he just has to raise his hand. There's something about his hand. He's never lost a case. Interceding. For us, But also, you know, in John 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Talking about Jesus Christ, who is an advocate. It says, we have an advocate with the Father. I'm not sure if that's caught, caught your attention, but there are three things I want to bring from that very quickly. One, if not that if any man repent. It says, if any man sins, it's speaking about the believers, those who are children of God. It says, if you repent, our salvation is secure. We're not constantly looking over our shoulder to see if the accuser is gaining over us. We have an advocate. At the moment a believer sins on the earth, we have Jesus as an advocate on earth, the spirit who, who, who convicts us with the word, through washing of the water, which is the word, not through blood again. It's not repeated. It's through the word of God. And then I want you to notice it's not an advocate with God. We have an advocate with the Father. It's a family matter. He is my prosecuting counsel. He is my defense attorney. Father is equally at work in the restoration or the relationship, as is the Spirit and the Son. We have this confidence in Second Timothy chapter two, verse nineteen. We say, oh, "He knows who are us." What a confidence that should give us that He knows who are us. Who, who are us? What a blessed thought! The God who made the heavens and the earth, the heavens, the vast heavens, and the tiny dot. That he would know. And therefore, Romans 8, 33 and 34 says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God. He also makes intercession for us. But I want to say there's a sad, sad thing. That he's not an intercessor for everybody. He is only an intercessor for those who are his. 
We read that in John chapter 17, verse 9. We can understand that. It says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. I don't know if among us there's anybody who's been fooling around thinking that they're saved and they come to church and, you know, we don't have anything on the inside. You would have nothing on the inside and you have no one up there. It's a sad place to be. The indwelling God is also the interceding God. Now I pray, even as the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. That you will recognize, yes, I need, I can't do without this person. You see, the work is complete. Would you believe that? Can you say that it is complete and that you can't add to it, you can't do anything, that he is the one I can't do without? There's also the future work of Christ. Now, I thank God for the uh, book of Revelation. You see, uh, there's the prophecies in the book of Revelation. I like, you know, it's good to read, but now I'm thankful for the prophecies. However, prophecies have actually been the cause for divisions, if you would, in the evangelical world. And I'm not thankful for that. Uh, prophecies also have caused a lot of you know, books to be written and has been good for the publishing industry. Again, I'm not thankful for that. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful as the, um, as his name is Mike, he writes in a story that I read some time, some time ago, and he writes that there was a time where he, he was at seminary, this Mike was at a seminary, he was in the third year, and he had to write paper on the eschatology, and he had poured through papers and books and he was getting all that together and he just couldn't understand why scholars could not agree. Why they would be so divided on eschatology. And he was so tired, he just closes the books in the library and as he's walking out, he meets old John. They would call him, he was a janitor. And what, Jan, what John would do is he, had, he would hitch the stool on his, on, his, on his cart and as he uh, goes from place to place to clean up and during his break he would just unhitch his stool. He would sit there, get a thermos, get coffee and, and start to read the Bible. The students liked talking to him. And as Mike was coming out, he meets John and uh, John being in the Word and, and being, uh, you know, so much... Um, walking close to God, he, he was of such practical help to, to the people. And so as Mike was approaching John, Mike sees that John is reading from the very book of Revelation. And so Mike asked John, you're reading the book of Revelation? I, I can't seem to figure that out. It seems to be too much. What is that book trying to tell? And uh, John turns to the last page reads the last chapter. It says, this much I know, that Jesus wins. And that is what my confidence lies. Many things I don't understand and you wouldn't understand as we try to read through what it is. But the confidence that we have, the one who completed the greatest work on the cross in the past, he works in our heart and he intercedes for us in heaven. And the future work that is yet to come, 
for this I'm thankful. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says, For we live by faith, not by sight. And I'm not sure if you, most of us have seen this image come up on the internet. How many of you see that as black and black and blue? All right. And I just want to say, it's not, seeing is not believing. It is not about what our eyes have seen. It's not as I look around. I, I'm not sure if you came across this blog written by Jim Daly of the Focus on the Family. He was writing about the 21 uh, uh, Egyptian Christians who were uh, beheaded in Libya. And he writes about the fact that what you read in the media is not complete news. And there is Sami Yakub, who is the uh, Focus on the Family Middle East director. And he writes about those young people. Twelve of them from one village. They had left Egypt because they, they were marginalized Christians. And so they go to Libya, where the economy is not really good. And yet they go there to do these menial jobs. And two weeks prior to their beheading, uh, ISIS had already captured them and tortured them. And I want to say for the glory of God, none of them recanted their faith. They were not willing to give up their faith. And even as you see it written on that TV screen, I want you to know if you caught the video or if you captured that, they died singing songs to Jesus with the name of Jesus on their lips. The ones who are willing to die for the cause of Jesus Christ, the one who is the indwelling, the interceding one, the one who is their redeemer. And so many times, though I'm not able to fully understand, though my eyes fail to see, uh, there's a lot of discouragement. Our hands get weary and, and our hearts go weak. I want to bring your attention back to Jesus Christ. The precious one who hopefully has captured our hearts today. Hopefully in some way that, that love for him would be ignited back in our hearts. That even as Jesus said to the Jews in John chapter 10, verse 37 to 38, it says, for I'm not... If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. The person and the work of Christ is so intertwined that when I look at him, I look at his work, I pray that it captures your heart. I'm waiting for the shout. In, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15 to 18, we, we know the Lord himself shall descend with a shout. In John, we saw in 1930, he, he, he shouts, Tetlestai, it is finished. And from Psalm 47, verse 5, we understand the scholars telling us that as Jesus went up, ascended up, he went with a shout. And then here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, we see that he's going to descend with a shout. Uh, I, 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 I cannot handle 
shouting. But this one thing I long for. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that shout as he himself is going to come. He doesn't delegate. He doesn't give it to anyone else. He himself, the Lord himself, will descend with a shout. And so, even as the book of Revelation ends, we see, even so, come Lord Jesus. That's the cry. And so, what's the future work? In the future work, we see the Lord coming as a victorious king. We saw in Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33, and it says, Jesus will... He, Jesus, will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of, the, of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. The Son of the Highest is also the Son of David. Well, we see that in Jesus Christ. The King is coming. In Hebrews 2, 8, we, we, we see... We see not yet all things put under him. And we read that in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. We don't see it, but we know that though no nations serve him, though no kingdoms are the kingdoms of his age, but soon and very soon, we shall see the king. Let's, if we can just join. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the King. No more dying then, we are No more dying there, we are going to see the King. No more dying then. We are going to see the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We are going. We are going to see the king. I think that's the hope that we have, the joy that we have, the confidence that we have, that we can face all things that God is, that, that this world would even throw at us. We will see the king. Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 says, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. He is the coming king. But he is also the returning judge. There are two judgments spoken of. And in John chapter 5, 22, we see that Father does not judge anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. He who is the king is also the judge. We read that in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in his land. Two judgments. The first one is called the judgment seat of Christ. And there are two verses I want to give you in Romans chapter 14, verse 10. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This is written in Romans, written to the believers in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it is good or bad. The judgment seat of Christ. 
There's also another, another judgment, the white throne judgment. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 to 15, we say, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for him. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they would they have done then a death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fires this is the second death the lake of fire and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire the true judgments let me bring this together there are things that we can be thankful for we can be thankful for the person of Christ and for the work that he has done. We understand that the work of the past, the present, and the future, no one else can do as he alone can do. So we are thankful for Jesus Christ. We see the confidence of the past, the work that is done, and the joy of the present, that the future work will also be complete. The, the, God, the Lord Jesus leaves no doubt that he will not complete it. He is the author and the finisher, the beginning and the end. And I'm thankful that he has not delegated, that he himself is the one who will come to get me. But this is one thing I want you to watch out for. I want to think about this. Who, who, what does Christ mean to you? What is he to us? Which of these two judgments do you think will be standing Hopefully we're not, you know, we, we don't put this away. We, you know, there, there is an intentionality of Christian living because this impacts for eternity. Let's return back to that verse that we, passage that we read in Philippians chapter 2. And we saw that, that therefore God himself Highly, from verse 9, therefore God himself highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And yet in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23, we read, By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone, has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to me. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance, says the Lord. Thus Jesus is Lord God manifest. To him will every knee bow and every tongue confess. Whether, our, whether we like it or not, those among us, if there's any, whether the world likes it or not, thus says the Lord. And we read also that in verse 11, it says, Jesus Christ is Lord. That word Lord is Adonai, the one word not given to anybody. We saw that last week. It's from Psalm 110, verse 1. It's given to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, to him, we have much to do.
Without him, there's nothing. Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus. I wanted to end with a story, but I'll, I'll, I'll end right here. Because I know it's been, uh, you know, I, as we gather together our thoughts and the work that he's done, I ask, I plead, that our lives would match up to what we know about Jesus Christ. Because if we are family of God, then we carry ourselves as his family. We'll look for evidence as his spirit would give us the discernment. And if we have been putting it away, we've had doubts about who he is, and, and we have not considered this to be important, I want to urge you that this is of eternal importance. That the opportunities that we have received will not be squandered away. That our lives would be lived to his glory. That our knees will bow, our tongue confess, and that he is Jesus Christ who is Lord. When he says he is Lord, that he would be our Lord and Master, that sovereign one who is our King. Father God, we want to thank you for the goodness of your, of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that even in those words that we have heard, we pray that, that you would be glorified as we... Lord, seek your help as we uh, submit ourselves. That it's not about us, Lord, that, that, that you will increase and we will decrease. That our lives would be lived as once that you've called us to be, the light of the world, the, the, the salt of the earth, the city on a, on a hill that's not, that cannot be hid. For once who've been impacted by the God of eternity, that our lives would so, so show forth. I want to thank you again for all the heads that are about. And if there's any among us, Lord, who's still grappling with who you are and the majesty of who you are and the work that you have done so freely and graciously, oh, we pray, we plead, Lord, that, that the work would be done in their hearts. And for the many we've been praying through these months, through these years, through the, our relatives, our parents, our friends, our brothers, our husbands. We pray, Lord, that, that their lives would be impacted by your Son through the work of your Spirit in their lives. In Jesus Christ, our Lord's name. Amen.